Welcome to Ed's Edge, the podcast to help you live the life you've always wanted. I want to give you an edge, a financial edge. I'm Ed Meek. I'm a financial advisor with a passion to help you retire early, save more, and live better. It's often the little things, small behaviors, that can change our lives. That's the power of a financial edge. As we all know, earlier this year, the markets took a tumble in a way that I had never seen before, in a way that we hadn't seen since the Great Depression. Things were crazy. Markets were down. Everybody was rattled. When that happens, we tend to have a tendency to panic. It's a natural reaction. We're emotional creatures. Unfortunately, emotions sometimes don't work great when it comes to investing. Our hope today is to help you have a plan for when this happens in the future, what do we do? How do we take advantage of down markets? We want to have strategies for our investments. And strategies aren't always the same when the markets are up, when they're flat, and when they're down. Our focus today is when they're struggling, when they're down, what should we do instead of just hoping but having a strategy? I have James with me here today. Before we get going, James, uh, I remember you mentioning something recently that was kind of funny that uh, it's an analogy that you, I don't know if it's an analogy, but it's something that you said about your son. Um, your son recently started walking, and uh, it's a story that has to do with stitches. Isn't that correct? That is right, Ed. Yeah, good to be with you. So, uh, you know, I've, I, I've told my wife this, the apple doesn't fall far too much from the tree here. You know, my mother told me uh, during my childhood, I experienced about 12 different events where I needed to have stitches. Um, and now Theo, uh, only being a year and a half or so, not even, uh, no stitches yet, knock on wood, but he's come darn close and the guy just has no fear for anything. And, uh, yep. Uh, he's, he's definitely my son. I can tell you that. Well, there weren't stitches involved, but I do remember about a month ago, you having to go home early because, uh, what, what happened? He took a tumble and fell and hit the corner of something. Yep. Yep. So we had to invest in, uh, uh, some extra padding on our bathtub because, uh, the, the guy saw a toy in the bathtub. What do you do when you're 15 months old and see a toy, you run at it. And what happened is he fell on the, uh, tripped and fell on our, our carpeting and, First thing to hit that side of the bathtub is his mouth. Let's just say there was some blood and some crying, but all's well right now. Yeah. Well, as you know, I uh, I have a grandson, and it was awesome. A few few weeks ago, my daughter and son-in-law and the grandson came for a week to our place in Michigan, and they got a great picture. The picture was I fell asleep. It was nighttime, and uh, it was I don't know around nine o'clock. And everybody who knows me knows I go to bed pretty early, so I was holding him in the chair, and I just fell asleep. We all know what happens when you fall asleep. Your arms get relaxed. And I started sending it out because I thought it was a good picture. And then everybody started saying, don't drop that kid. So The mothers uh, are coming at you, aren't they? Yeah, right. So uh, so he's a little young. He's uh, he's he's not he's not as, as old as your son, but uh, I'm sure I will hear many stories like that. You know, today's topic, um, you know, we're talking about uh, the down markets. And, uh, you know, we know that happened in March. It's, it, we've certainly come back and we're very happy about that. Make no mistake, though, in our lifetime, several times, the markets will drop. They will drop for a variety of different reasons. And so what we wanted to do today is equip you for when that happens, uh, you can be best prepared to take advantage of these scenarios. 
a lot of times people will start throwing out these terms like 401k and Roth and all of that. And uh, what what I found out is a lot of times people are familiar with these terms, meaning they've heard them, but they don't always know exactly what they mean. So some of the tips that I have are going to apply to different types of way that we have our money invested. Really, there's two main ways. You know, when you got a chunk of money, you can either put them in what's called a retirement account or you can put them in a non-retirement account. The main difference is in a retirement account, it's geared for when you retire. You know, at least it's age 59 and a half. So usually in your 60s and 70s, um, there's huge tax advantages to doing that. And then there's a, an account called a non-retirement account, which is you can put your money in, you can invest it, you can buy stocks, you can take it out. The only thing that would happen is maybe you have to pay some taxes on it. The non-retirement accounts are much more liquid. And so there's strategies for both. And the reason why I'm setting this up is because these strategies, we're going to go through four really good things today. Some of them apply to non-retirement account and some of them apply to retirement. So I just wanted to say that. But the first thing I wanted to share was called rebalancing. People have heard this before. They generally understand it maybe a little bit, but I don't know if they fully understand it. It's actually relatively simple. The easiest way to understand it is let's say we split our money up between two investments. Um, the most common investments that people are familiar with are very broadly stocks and bonds. Stocks fluctuate more, historically grow more over the long run, but they fluctuate like recently. They were down from peak to trough this year uh, in a 30% range. Bonds do not fluctuate as much and they're more stable. Um, they don't grow as fast over the long run, but they don't go down as much. So if you had your money divided, let's just say, I don't know, $100,000 between the two and you had 50,000 in each, this year, your stocks could have gone down to maybe 35,000. Um, and your bonds might have not gone down at all. During that period of time, it's actually a good idea to consider rebalancing and taking some of that bond money and moving it into stocks. And the reason is because you then rebalance and you create these th two things to be equal again. That is very powerful because we all know, everybody says to me all the years that I've been in this, people are like, oh yeah, you're an investment guy, huh? Buy low, sell high. Like, I don't know how many times I've heard that. That's what people say, and it's correct. But here's an example of when you really want to do that. It's very difficult to do it during these times. You know, the markets are struggling. You're not sure. Maybe things can be bad for a while. But if you believe in the, if you believe in the economy, you believe in the United States, you believe in capitalism, the markets eventually come back. We don't know when, but if you rebalance, it actually helps you buy low. We actually did that this year, James. I don't know if you remember with all the portfolios we were doing for our clients. The markets bottomed out on March 23rd, and uh, I think you and I were just asked, John, the chief investment officer, how many days before did we rebalance for everybody? Yeah, March 18th. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to rebalance at that time, and timing was, was close to uh, ideal. We don't attribute that to anything more than a disciplined strategy. And you know, I think you hit it perfectly during these down times when deviations come away, when things get too far out of whack, it, it's time to, to bring it back into, into the equation. So, yeah, we were we were five days away, which was great. To, great yeah. To see. And in, in the long run, it, it ended up paying off great. Fortunately, things rebounded quickly. And then uh, and then when things do well, it's actually the opposite effect. What we do is we skim off some of these heightened profits and then we put them back into the other investment. And so it's kind of this balancing act back and forth. But that's, uh, that's, that's the first that we really like to do. The second one, uh, that can be done in those retirement accounts and non-retirement accounts. But the second one is maxing out your 401k. We, we all know that we want to put as much away in retirement accounts as we can. But I think you would even mention it, made this really clear in a really good way I heard recently 
Um, why do we Why do we want to max out a four hundred one k? Yeah, at this during this time specifically. Great question. So you know, when when we're working and we we're contributing to a four hundred one k, what we often do is we set a certain percentage or certain dollar amount that we want to contribute to that four hundred one k, and it's fixed. What most people don't know is you can change that percentage or that dollar amount by contacting your company, filling out a form, even going online. And the reason when there's a down market, it might be beneficial to change that percentage is most people don't max out their contributions. They put in, say, 10% a year. If they make $100,000, that's 10 grand. That's great. Most people can contribute up to 19,000 or if you're over 50, 26,000 into that 401k plan. And so what you can do during those down times is you can change that 10% to maybe 20 or 25%. What you're essentially doing is you're shoving more money into stocks that are on sale. Certainly for someone like myself, Ed, being a lot younger than you, that will pay off, um, but it helps with everybody. And um, it's something to consider during that next downtime. If you can afford to put in a little bit more during those downtimes, I think you'll thank yourself later on. I remember you saying it might be a good idea if you just shoved it in there quicker right away. Even if you can only put a certain amount in in a year, do it earlier while it's down and then just cut it off for the rest of the year, right? Yep. Take advantage of it while you can. And also thank you so much for uh, talking about how much of an age difference we are. I really appreciate that. Well, you are a grandpa now, Ed, so that's true. gotta let you know. That's a good one. The third one, this one is for specifically those non-retirement accounts. This third strategy does not work in the retirement accounts because retirement accounts usually grow tax-free or tax-deferred. You don't have to worry about taxes inside of there while they're growing. But the third one, you do have to worry about taxes for those non-retirement accounts. If you if you make money in an investment and you sell it, you have to pay either a short-term capital gains tax or a long-term capital gains tax if it's making money. And so we want to avoid taxes as much as possible because the money grows faster. So one thing you can do during a down market that's really beneficial is something in a term uh, that we call called tax loss harvesting. And what that is, is let's say you buy the stock market, the S&P 500, and it, uh, you just happen to buy it at a time in, I don't know, February this year when the markets were at an all time high and you put $10,000 in there and then it dropped maybe 30% down to $7,000. What we would do is encourage people to sell that investment. You now have a $3,000 loss. That stings, but we tell you then, then invest that into another investment that's very similar to that. It can't be exactly the same, but very similar. And then what you do is you buy in and you create a new cost basis and you take that $3,000 loss. And, you, and I, as I tell people, you put it in your back pocket. Losses on investments can be used to offset gains in the future. Losses can also be what are called carry forward, meaning unfortunately, in doing what I've done as long as I have, there were there are clients that I work with back from the tech bubble 20 years ago when the tech stock market went down. Some people had lost so much money, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. This money was put in their back pocket. You can keep those losses and then create basically paying no taxes for a long period of time in the future. The reason why you want to do this versus just holding on to it, because some people are like, well, I'll just hold on to it. It's going to go back up the same way. Well, if it does, 
and it goes back up to the $10,000, you don't have that loss anymore. You might as well take the loss and use it to your advantage in the future. So even though no one likes to see those things, these tax loss harvesting can really allow you a lot of control when it comes to minimizing taxes. I think that's a really good point. You know, the big difference there in simple form, I think you hit, hit home well, is taking the tax loss isn't necessarily taking the investment loss because you are buying back into something very similar right away. And so th- those carry forward losses that you mentioned, you know, I've got a, I've got a good story on that. Uh, there's a client who has what we call a concentrated position. She's got a lot of money in, in one investment that she doesn't like. She's tired of it, but she doesn't want to sell it because she's going to have a huge tax bill next year. And so what we were able to do is we were able to d- provide that tax loss harvesting for her. And, you know, she captured a good amount of losses and it allowed her to carve out some of that concentrated position without having to pay taxes. So we all know that we don't want to pay Uncle Sam more than we have to. During these down times, again, these silver linings around it, um, tax loss harvesting really can benefit you. Um, so, so take a look next time. Yeah, these, these opportunities actually present themselves more often than people think. I mean, I was just thinking recently. I mean, this just happened this year, but not that just a little over a year ago it happened again. Um, if we all recall, in 2018, so Trump gets in, and what happens is he starts talking about tariffs immediately, if we recall. In the beginning of 2018, international stocks immediately started tumbling. Not horrifically, but the U.S. stock market was actually doing well during that time. International stocks weren't. Perfect opportunity. If you're investing in both, take, a, take some tax loss harvesting in the international, buy some other ones. Then later on in the year, December, the markets just fell out of bed. In that fall in December, I remember Christmas Eve, the markets bottomed out. And if you did some tax loss harvesting, it was a great opportunity. It actually kind of goes hand in hand with that first point of rebalancing. When you're rebalancing, just try to see what can I do to try to take advantage of this. So it works very effectively. We've got rebalancing, we've got tax loss harvesting, and we've got maxing out the 401k, right? Any retirement contributions. What's your fourth one, Ed? So the fourth one is called Roth conversions. So as you recall, I mentioned there's there's two main types of ways we can invest, retirement or non-retirement. There are There are two main ways that we can have retirement accounts. They're called either Roth retirement accounts or just traditional. You can actually invest into what's called an IRA in these two different fashions. Uh, The first one, IRA is an acronym for something called Individual Retirement Account. They were created in 1974, and people have been able to put money into them ever since then. Each year, it's a little bit more. Not every year, but sometimes they go up on how much more you can put in. And you can do that into a traditional one, which goes in pre-tax. Don't pay any taxes on the money when it grows in, and then you don't pay taxes while it's growing, and you have to pay taxes when you pull it out. The second one is called a Roth IRA. And James, I know you didn't know this ahead of time, but do you know why it's called a Roth IRA? I have no idea. 1997, there was a Senator, William Roth from Delaware, who proposed, he'd actually been trying to propose this for a while, but he finally got it pushed through to be able to allow this type of IRA. It was it was new. I remember I was in the business. I was about five years in the business at the time. And this was a new type of IRA. And what it was is you, you don't put it in pre-tax. It's money that you put in after-tax money. But the big advantage to the Roth is that it grows tax-free. 
at the time, the only other investment that existed and now still does today that's tax-free in its growth are what are called tax-free municipal bonds. But the Roth IRA, if you whatever you can get in there, it grows tax-free. And tax-free compounded over time is extremely powerful. They can be used in a variety of ways. We won't go into all the details now, but converting to a Roth IRA is something that everybody should always consider if they have money in other IRAs, what are called traditional IRAs. And the reason is because of that great tax savings. But right now, when the markets are going down, Roth IRA conversions are something that people should think about. You actually have a story about you did one of these recently. Why don't you explain? The downside to a Roth IRA conversion, right? There's good and bad to everything. But in this case, when the market's down, it, more often than not, it does make sense. The, the downside when you convert is you pay taxes based on the value that you convert. So think taking that concept in mind, when you convert something that has dropped in value, the taxes on that are significantly less than if you convert something that's higher in value. And so if you can be tactical and strategic, you've got 401k money, you've got traditional IRA money, and it's worth, let's say, $100,000, and it's dropped to, say, $70,000, you pay taxes on the $70,000 at time of conversion. You don't pay taxes on the $100,000 where it was before. So this, the story I had is, you know, we were looking at a lot of our clients that some of their investments were down and we picked the ones that were down the most. And one gentleman, his entire goal, he firmly believes taxes will go up in the very near future. We've seen the stimulus money come into play and a lot of other factors. So you could argue, yes, taxes will go up in the near future. And so to prepare for that, uh, given his specific tax situation, he wants his money tax free. Who doesn't, right? And so his goal is to get all of his money in his Roth. We were able to provide uh, about 25% more money in that Roth just by the market dropping. So I'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason. The markets happen for a reason. Uh, our specific situations happen for certain reasons. And so that one, uh, we're going to look back and say, you know, the, the silver lining around that was you were able to put some more money into that Roth. The, the one thing about Roth IRAs as well, we eventually... You may take the money out of them. You may not. When you pass money on, if eventually we're all we're all going to pass away. When we pass money on, if your money is inside of one of these retirement accounts that were tax deferred, the people who are going to inherit it will have to pay taxes on it eventually when they pull it out. And sometimes that can be pretty dramatic. It used to be a little bit more advantageous. Unfortunately, this year, some new tax rules came out where if you receive an inheritance or you receive an IRA from uh, not a spouse, but from a parent, you can't keep it in there as long as possible. So you have huge tax bills. The Roth is received tax-free to your heirs or whoever you leave it to. Extremely powerful, extremely powerful. So there's a lot of advantages to a Roth. It's not always the best option. You do want to talk to your accountant or financial advisor, find out all the rules and regulations and what's appropriate for you, but you want to take advantage of it if you can. Just to wrap things up, if, if you've learned nothing else today, think of the possibility that next time the market goes down, there's some opportunities. There's some tax savings. Right. There's some there's some investment opportunities as well. So that's a that's a wrap for uh, our segment. Before we close out here, Ed, got uh, food for thought today. I ended up taking your advice, and my wife and I tried that chicken marsala. 
And I'm not going to lie, it uh, lived up to what you told me. It was phenomenal. I am a big, big sauce person. I love various forms of sauce, and that one hit a home run for us. So, Oh, that's uh, good, yeah. You know, the one thing I didn't tell you, I, I remember you mentioning that, I didn't tell you, and I did put this on the recipe on the website. You're going to be, if anybody wants to download it, it's actually, it was a tore up recipe. You could sell, you can see the food stains on it or whatever, but I hand wrote, bad handwriting, sorry. But um, the one thing the recipe didn't say that I always use is um, uh, some cornstarch and water. I mix it up a little bit because the sauce comes out relatively thin. If you want it a little thicker, then just use your own discretion at the uh, the cornstarch. But uh, it tastes the same. It doesn't change the the taste. So I'm glad I, I made a big big old batch up in Michigan for a bunch of friends and uh, was talking about the podcast. Uh, so it was it was awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So you're gonna have to top that now. What uh, what do we have next? Well, I'm not sure I'm gonna top it, but so before I kind of go go into detail about this i i had mentioned the chicken wings place to my friend i told him that uh i was doing this podcast and he's the guy i went to the chicken wings place the most we went to loyola together in the city and i told him hey you know his name's matt i said hey matt you know um uh as you know i'm a foodie and he goes what he goes a foodie are you really a foodie and i said i i think i'm a foodie and then i know matt he's always contemplating things and he said I don't know if you're a foodie. I think of foodies as people who go to the shishi restaurants and all that. No. He said, that's not you. He goes, you're like a diners, drive-ins, and dives kind of guy. I'm like, that's definitely me. He goes, because that's what I'm like. He said, you're a chow hound. I said, chow hound? He said, yeah, you're a chow hound. And I said, I mean, I've never even heard of that term before. And he goes, I just made it up, but I think that's what you are. <laughs> I so, was going to say, I haven't either. So, so James, I don't know if I'm a foodie or a chow hound, but I love food. And this this third one I have, is uh, it's a place in town. It's a great burger place. Um, it's called Burger Social. And they, uh, they're just all about burgers. All, all the burgers I've ever had there are great. It's in downtown Wheaton. Uh, my son actually worked there this summer as a busboy. He loved it. Uh, the staff is great. We all thought the food is great. He told me all the people there are great. Uh, almost everybody I've ever heard of who, who comes away from there thinks it's great too. So if anybody wants a great burger and they do have really great fries, and uh, I don't drink a lot, but people say the drinks are great. It's an awesome place. In downtown Wheaton, if anybody during the warm months hasn't been there this year, it's an incredible place to go. They have a m huge tent that basically covers a whole block. And there's about five or six restaurants in downtown Wheaton. And people can eat outside underneath this tent. So Burger Social, I'll give it a try. The one burger place I haven't tried that a good friend of mine told me about, it's called Mott Street Burgers. I don't know if anybody's ever had it. It's in downtown Chicago, hmm. uh, but that's the next one I'm going to try. If anybody uh, if anybody knows about it, let me know, but I, I'm going to give that one a try. Sounds great. Appreciate you sharing, and thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, James. I have been slapped on my hand one too many times by my compliance attorney. This is to put me in good standing. This podcast represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time, should not be relied upon as investment advice, and is not intended to predict or depict performance of any investment. Any specific recommendations or comparisons that are made as to particular securities or strategies are for illustrative purposes only and are not meant as investment advice for any viewer.